0: Well, hello there, everybody. It is July 3rd, uh, early afternoon, July 3rd. And um, I can officially say everybody now because, uh, according to the data, more than just my dad has been listening to this show. In fact, I've had a lot of people reach out uh, near the end of last week. And, um, you know, some people were, uh, well, everybody was very uh, encouraging about the podcast. Some people wanted to come on. And have a spot on the podcast, even though I'm not sure exactly what they wanted to talk about. So either I have some great friends that are just really encouraging or uh, people are actually enjoying it. But I did did have a handful of people reach out, and that was nice to see. And uh, the downloads uh, have been a little surprising. So if you are listening, I appreciate uh, your listenership. I encourage you to follow all the social media avenues. Uh, You can uh, Instagram, Facebook. Twitter, even though not the best time to start a new Twitter account, apparently. Touch on that a little bit later. Uh, and follow the show and, and go leave a rating on uh, Spotify or uh, Apple Podcasts, which is the only two places where it's available and, and will probably be that way uh, for quite a while. Did not get to podcast on Friday. Uh, had a friend in town, got to go play some golf. And it was a pretty exceptional week last week. Uh, made an effort once basketball ended that I'm really going to do kind of what I want to do. Uh, until we go back to school, which is something that, quite honestly, I don't do a whole lot of. Don't know how many times I get to podcast this week, a lot going on, but uh, last week was great. Got to connect with some old friends um, and, and do some things that really I wanted to do. So uh, thanks for listening. Hopefully you're enjoying it. Uh, did miss out on getting to talk about some Supreme Court decisions on Friday. Two significant ones were handed down. I'll touch on those today. But I'd like to circle back first to the affirmative action part because... You know, not everybody really agreed with my take on that. Um, one thing I did see that I think is is rather interesting is that um, the service academies in the United States are not going to be held to that affirmative action ruling. Now, I really think if you are significantly upset about the affirmative action ruling, you need to look at it from a few different angles. First of all, nine states already outlawed it. Uh, race-based admissions in public universities, including California, which I think most people would argue is the most liberal state in the United States. That might be up for some debate, but in terms of sheer population uh, and influence, California is definitely in the mix. Uh, California had a referendum to take this away a few years ago, I believe it was 2022, and they overwhelmingly voted to not bring back affirmative action. Also, if you look at reliable data polling, Pew Research, and other credible institutions that poll on this subject, the majority of Americans polled do not think that race should be a factor in determining college admissions. Now, I do think uh, it is going to play out in a way that will work for everybody. Uh, First of all, um, I think the concept of affirmative action, if you did it on a socioeconomic basis, would be more effective and would also in turn help minorities more than it would help anybody else. I think that's something to be looked at. I also think institutions of higher learning see the value in diversity. And I think the burden of proof of saying, okay, you only accepted this kid because they're Hispanic or they're black or they're female or whatever the uh, you know qualification would be. Uh, I think the burden of proof on that is going to be incredibly hard to prove. I also think that in terms of other favoritism that is given towards college applicants, because your family gave a lot of money, your legacy. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be very honest. Uh, my, my grandfather went to Vanderbilt, uh, was a professor at Peabody, was instrumental in merging Peabody and Vanderbilt together. Uh, my dad went there as well. Um, did that play into me getting into Vanderbilt? Uh, it, it probably didn't hurt. Uh, I had good test scores, I had good grades, wasn't overly challenged in high school. But nonetheless, had a really good GPA. Uh, would I've gotten in without those connections? I think so. Uh, the acceptance rate was much higher—about twenty to twenty-five percent when I got admitted to Vanderbilt, not the six, seven, eight, nine percent it is now. But uh, did that play into it? Yeah. So maybe I'm a little hypocritical on that. I'm not sure, uh, but I, I think that is something that needs to be looked at. Um, if you're going to give favoritism. If you're going to take away favoritism in terms of, and maybe favoritism is the wrong word, but in terms of race uh, preference, let's go with that. Uh, you probably need to take away preference of these other aspects that come into play, but we will uh, we will see how that all plays out uh, in the future. I really don't think the impact is going to be that significant, but uh, nonetheless, we will see how it plays out. Now, in a a similar ruling or an expected ruling, uh, the student loan debt. Uh, that uh, President Biden tried to waive was struck down by the Supreme Court to the surprise of probably nobody. Uh, First of all, I think this is probably the right ruling when it's all said and done. The bigger issue that we are facing with this is the growing cost of college. And until we get away from the concept that everybody needs to go to college, uh, then colleges are going to be able to continue to um, gouge people in terms of their admission costs. We need to make colleges compete for their students, and we need to shrink the pool of people that go to college. You do not have to go to college to be overly successful. We have lived with this narrative for a really, really long time. And to be honest, I don't think it's necessarily true. You can go online and get all kinds of certifications. You can get different kinds of jobs. One of my former players graduated, I think in 2014, uh, was an okay student. Uh, a little bit different background than the typical student that goes to the high school I teach at, uh, became an electrician, and he's killing it. He's making all kinds of money. We need to focus on kids going to community college. I think community college needs to be free. If kids want to go get trade certificates, we need to allow for that because that is ultimately going to be the aspect that allows people to move up and have uh, social mobility within classes, giving them the skills and the opportunities to move up. Like I talked about the other day, equity versus equality. Equality is treating everybody the same. If we treat everybody the same across the board, then there will be virtually no movement or limited movement amongst socioeconomic classes, where if you give uh, people, and it is more difficult. If you are a poor person in this country, whether you agree with this or not, statistically, it is more difficult for you to seek upward mobility in the United States. We need to start putting things in place that allow people to move up financially. And I think affirmative action by socioeconomic status would be a good way to go. But in terms of just wiping out debt, listen, somebody has to pay for that. Now, I was fortunate enough to not have to pay for my undergrad degree. Uh, that was that was paid for, not a little bit of scholarship money in there, but not, not much. Uh, my parents did a great job, took care of me in that regard. Um, I understand not everybody has that opportunity, but I'll be honest, if I had to go back and they're like, you're going to be $100,000 in debt in 1999 uh, by choosing to go to Vanderbilt or if you go to Middle Tennessee State University, you have $0. It As conservative and as cheap as I am with money sometimes. That probably would have been a pretty difficult decision when it's all said and done. Also, I think the big issue with this policy is it is not helping the people we really think it needs help. There was an article that was published by the Brookings Institute um, a few years ago, and it took data um, from the Federal Reserve's survey of consumer finances. And really, the gist of this article is the highest income 40% of households, those with incomes above 74,000, almost 60% of the outstanding education debt and make up three quarters of the payments. The lowest income 40% of households hold just under 20% of the outstanding debt, and make only ten percent of the payments. I I was introduced to this book a few years ago. It's called The Sum of Us. One of my one of my former players, his father, suggested this book to a group of uh, people at the high school, and I, of course, bought it and read it. And really, the gist of this book is, is that uh, we have put forth policy that is intended to help and bolster the lower class, but the end result has not been bolstering the lower class. It has really ultimately helped the middle class when it's all said and done. And I think this is another example of that. Uh, The super rich, probably not affected by this because they are able to pay it. The super poor, the people that need the resources to move up also are are not the ones taking out these ridiculous loans. It's the middle class. And this is a policy that uh, is bolstering the group that is probably not the central intent of helping. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me when it's all said and done. Um, You know, if we're really trying to help out the people that need the extra help, then this is not an avenue to do that. And also, look, these are conscious decisions made by students and parents when they go off to college. If you are going to go into education, which God bless you, hope it works out. Uh, I hope you have as great an experience being a teacher as I have had. but. You know that your starting salary, depending on where you live, is probably going to be between forty and sixty thousand dollars, and you also know that the school you're go, excuse me going to is going to cost maybe over two hundred thousand. It is it is very simple economics when it's all said and done. I think some of the fields that people choose to go into, social work, other fields, where they know the salaries when they step into this world are going to be very low, but they still make the conscious decision to borrow the money. I think that's on them. Now, I did take out student loans twice in terms of going to grad school, went and got a master's degree uh, and ended up getting it paid for uh, when I worked and coached at Pepperdine and then went and got an add-on endorsement for leadership and if if pondered going back to school, maybe it's something I'll do in the future, I will have to take out loans for that. But I, I think where you go to grad school is probably a little bit more critical where you go to undergrad. And also there are incentives for me to do that, like there is a significant pay bump If I go back and get an EDS, if I go back and get a doctorate, Uh, so the ends do kind of justify the means there, and I could pay off that loan based on extra income within three to four years, if not earlier. Now, the student loans I took out for grad school, I was able to pay back relatively quickly because I put an emphasis on it, Uh, but it wasn't easy, and I was definitely you know characterized as a middle class earner and still am based on that. So I'm not going to get into the. You know the specifics of did did President Biden overstep his bounds by doing this? Um, I think he did. I think this is something the president can't do. But then again, like every president essentially since FDR has made uh, or or has put forth the executive office and expanded it significantly since they've been in office. So this is nothing new. This was done by Trump. This was done by Obama. This was done by Bush, Clinton, et cetera. So I'm not going to sit here and and give uh, a whole bunch of criticism. And, And to his uh to his credit, uh, it was a good move in terms of attracting some attention before the midterms, which ultimately political parties are put in place to try and win elections. So you can't really fault him on that one. Uh, the other one that came down, decision that came down, was dealing this Colorado with this Colorado website designer, uh, basically approached, allegedly approached by a, uh, I believe a gay couple about uh, creating a website for their same-sex, uh, wedding. Well, it came out in CNN, uh, that basically that this was kind of a hoax. The man says he never reached out to Lori Smith, the web designer who was, uh, named in this case, uh, the man identifies Stewart in court filings and as someone who requested graphic designs for invitations and other materials for same-sex sex wedding with his fiance. Uh, Stewart said he did not submit a request to the company 303 creative. And is happily married man to a woman of fifteen years. Now, th- this part is relatively weird. This is on CNN. Um, I don't think it really matters at the end of the day uh, what this is, but the ruling uh, essentially: this lady, um, you know, Lori Smith, has her company kind of an independent contractor, and to be honest, she can um, she can make decisions that she wants. It's like uh, as a basketball coach, if I have kids come to me and uh, middle school kids and say, hey, I want to be trained or or elementary kids, whatever, whatever's within the rules. I don't do that on the side, but whatever's within the rules, uh, I can pick and choose to help those kids. Maybe I would be more willing to help a kid that I know is going to end up at my school at some point than a kid that isn't. That's bias. Okay. This person, Lori Smith, clearly showing bias. It's different to me than offering a public service. Uh, You own a business that allows everybody to go into uh, and a restaurant, retail, et cetera. Obviously, if you are denying service to different people that are doing the same things as everyone else, but maybe have different beliefs, then I think that's wrong. You see that on both sides. There was a Twitter, uh, a Twitter account that was uh, posting a picture about, uh, some business, I believe it was in California that wasn't allowing Trump supporters. Uh, that's really no different than what is going on here, when it's all said and done. Now, my I don't agree with Lori Smith. I think if you're going to open, have a business, uh, you know, I don't agree with her views. Like I, I have nothing against uh, same-sex couples or anything, uh, any, anyone else for that matter. Okay. Uh, my biases are uh, typically like uh, based on what sports team you pull for, things of that nature. I, I don't agree with her take on that. Um, and also if you're, a, if you're a same-sex couple and you know this person, is discriminatory towards your group. Why why would you want to give this person your business anyway? And this is kind of at the forefront of everything right now. Um, you know, the reality is, like you can look at some of the uh, things that have gone on lately, like the Bud Light uh, decision. I, I think it's very poor practice for corporations to get involved in the political realm of anything. Obviously, if you're a gun manufacturer, you have Significant interest in who gets elected, but if you're selling Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Bud Light, Modelo, whatever, uh, why get involved? Like I didn't sit there and think, "Oh, uh, I wonder if Bud Light is biased towards transgender people." Like that never even crossed my mind. They didn't even it didn't even need to be addressed. Just tell us how great your product is. If you have a great product, you'll sell it. And Bud Light ultimately will not collapse for this okay? Bud Light is going to survive. The profits might not be what they wanted them to be, but it's not like Anheuser-Busch is going to totally go under because of this decision. But it is, it is a blip in the radar. It is hurting their bottom line. And if you own a major corporation or, or whatever uh, business you're in, I just don't think it's good practice to get involved politically. Because if you make a strong stand on something, you're typically going to alienate probably 50% of the United States when it's all said and done. So those are a couple thoughts on some of the rulings uh, that have come out. You know, Speaking of Twitter, Elon Musk came out this weekend and said they were limiting the number of posts and feeds and things you could follow each day as they're scraping material. That is all over my head. Obviously giving people that are critical of Elon Musk and his takeover of Twitter some fodder uh, to be critical of, of uh, his running of Twitter. Um, a few other things, uh, a poll came out, it was in the Tennessean uh, of Nashvilleians talking about how they feel, uh, the direction of Nashville is going, and it wasn't overly positive. And I think one of the things that is incredibly frustrating to me living in Nashville has been the traffic. Now, after living in LA for five years, I did not think traffic in Nashville would phase me quite as much as it had, but th- this crossed my mind. I was coming back into town a few weeks ago. And it didn't time it well, come right back in at 5 o'clock, have a car full of kids, uh, jump in the HOV lane, and no one in the HOV lane uh, was really following the rules. Nashville has HOV lanes and I-40, I-65, and I-24, and uh, they've been part of the landscape on the uh, Nashville highways since 1993. Never once have I seen anybody get a ticket for that. So... The Tennesseean published an article. It was actually a, one of these question and answer things they do. Uh, since 2010, the Tennessee Highway Patrol has issued 513 HOV citations in Davidson County. Uh, no citations were issued in 2021 or 2022. Um, this year, the state agency reports that three citations had been given through mid-June. So the first six months, they gave three. Um, I don't even see what the point of having these lanes are if there's not going to be any level of enforcement. And the Nashville mayoral race is coming up in August. I'm not a Davidson County resident. Ultimately, it probably doesn't affect me too much. But Nashville, Middle Tennessee has got to do something regarding uh, rapid transit. And uh, we had a referendum a few years ago. It fell through. Uh, Obviously, there's a, a contingent of people that would like to see light rail established. I think we've got to figure some way to get people from the suburbs into Nashville because it is a major hassle and it makes it just not a pleasant place to go. So just some HOV lane data there and then more exciting news. And this is really exciting to me. Even though if you use the uh, the concept of the Back to the Future movies, we are roughly eight years behind, okay, because went um, 30 years in the future, we had flying cars, right? 1985, 2015 arrives. There are no hovercraft. There is nothing, there's no skyways. It it makes the movie Back to the Future 2 kind of a sham. Well, the good news is, is this company uh, has been granted an FAA certification for testing a vehicle uh, that will be a flying car. Uh, It is called the Model A and is the first flying vehicle that is drivable on public roads and able to park like a normal car. It also has a vertical takeoff and landing capabilities It apparently will be able to carry one or two occupants and will have a road range of 200 miles and a flying range of 110 miles. Now, this is pretty exciting stuff. Uh, The company expects to sell the vehicles. The company is called Aleef, A-L-E-F. Maybe I butchered that, Uh, but the company expects to sell the vehicle for $300,000 with the first delivery projected by the end of 2025. So finally, Some of the foreshadowing of the great trilogy of Back to the Future is coming to life, and I think that's uh, interesting news as uh, we'll see how that plays out. I'm not too optimistic that that's going to change the way we live, but uh, we will see, and uh, probably long overdue because no one likes to sit in traffic. Last thing I want to touch on, I I record uh, Meet the Press every week. They had an episode yesterday uh, dedicated to the fentanyl Issues and overdoses, and how basically we've gone from 5,000 overdoses in the 80s to over 110,000. Fentanyl is the major uh, factor in these increasing overdoses. It is produced in China. It is sent to Mexico. It is crossing our borders, coming in through ports of entry. Uh, it is a major, major deal. And I didn't know much about it until I watched the show yesterday. And as a parent of kids in high school, it's very alarming because I'll be very transparent here. If fentanyl was a thing when I was in college, there's a decent chance that probably two to three people I know uh, might not be alive. Because, um, you know, people did, you know, it's college, people did drugs, uh, you know, people doing ecstasy, things of that, obviously, um, all these different pills that are out there today, Uh, that that kids are taking. Uh, Fentanyl looks exactly like it. It takes a very small dose to kill a person and and it's a significant deal. And and I fear for anybody that gets mixed up in the wrong stuff. I think it's something that if you have kids approaching high school, you need to sit down and have a conversation with them about because uh, enough fentanyl entered the United States last year to overdose every single person in our country. And it's something that uh, we're going to have to deal with as we move forward. So kind of exceeded my time limit today, my self-serving time limit of 20 minutes. uh, But wanted to get out and talk to you. Please go leave a a nice review. If you don't want to leave a nice review, just go do something else. I don't care. Uh, Follow me on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. And uh, I will maybe do another one this week. Got a lot going on. Not a lot of free time. Uh, We will see how the rest of the week plays out. Hope you guys are doing well. And thanks for listening.